Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Women Who Rock Investigate, an affiliate of Women Who Rock with Success. We report case studies in the areas of policy and government, medical malpractices, health pandemics, biotech and fracking, global climate change, prison, and police reform and more. Our topics are covered around the latest breaking news reports in the U.S. and around the globe. We can be heard on Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcast, TuneIn, iTunes, Podbean, Airtime Pro, and SAM Broadcasting Radio Stations, and more. Our hand-picked experts on the show provide credible information from their fields of experience. Join us on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time as we discover the latest in news reports. Now join us live in the studio with our show host, Mrs. Diane Winbush. And good morning and welcome to Women Who Rock Investigates. This is a spin-off uh, podcast of our Women Who Rock With Success show. And so this one we try to help individuals a little bit more in their daily activity, um, occupation, the corporate world, celebrities, whatever it uh, calls for, we try to jump in and be able to bring the um, information and latest news. So today we will continue our discussion in uh, real estate. Uh, last week we brought you information resources through real estate brokers and those who own their own firms in regards to um, the COVID-19 and how to protect yourself as a broker as well as a buyer. So this week we will be sharing information. We, our platform will be giving you uh, tools and resources as to um, in regards to real estate and how to prepare um, get your checklist, and they're going to show, share with you a little bit about them. And um, we're going to get started. Our first panelist is going to be Tony Patillo. Our second panelist is Jeff Orlando. And our third panelist is Lisa Tilstra. So Tiffany will not be with us on today. She had a last-minute emergency. But uh, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the podcast today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. So we're going to start with Jeff. We're going to start with him since he's the only male that's on here with us today. So we want you to share a little bit about, <laughs> we want you to talk to the audience just a little bit about you and about your practice um, in real estate and how you got started. We want the audience to kind of feel a little bit comfortable with our guests. Well, thank you. Uh, I started in real estate full-time in 2002. I uh, have a, a banking and finance background, so I bring that to my practice. It helps out both my buyers and, and my sellers. Uh, the the one thing that was missing for me in, in banking was was making that more you know personal contact. It was it was you know move, moving money around and working on large transactions. And what I really like about residential real estate is making an impact in people's lives, whether it's first time buyer, move up buyer. You know, somebody selling just, you know, real estate plays such a big role in people's lives. So uh, that was that was really uh, a motivating factor for me. Uh, my my practice right now is it's in California. It's in mostly in Vent- Ventura County, the Simi Valley, Moore Park, Thousand Oaks area, Conejo Valley. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. And thank you for that. So I'm um, Lisa. Yeah. Um, Cheryl, uh, with the audience, a little bit about you. Great. Thank you so much, Diane. So yes, my name is Lisa Tilstra and I am a real estate investor. I also have a real estate investing consulting consulting business that I actually just started this past year in the middle of the pandemic. And I am a leadership coach and my business partner and I specialize in helping Americans who live outside of the U.S invest in great properties back in the U.S. through our company, the REI Concierge. My husband, both my business partner and myself are married to American diplomats, so we live outside of the U.S. and I'm currently in Colombo, Sri Lanka, and never expected to be a real estate investor, but when I look back on my career as an investor, I realized when I first bought my, my own home to live in, that was my that was the beginning of the journey as an investor and that's one of the things that i like to help people realize is 
buying your own primary residence is actually a way of starting out in real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, great. Okay, so Tony? Yeah, hi. Um, well, I'm Tony Patillo, and I'm a real estate broker. been in the business for 21 years now. Uh, started out here in Southern California, been here uh, the entire time. I um, actually specialize in, I would say, working with people who are dealing with specific circumstances. Uh, When I initially got in the business, we were just ahead of of the uh, downturn. So by 2006, 2007, the market, as you know, and the economy started to uh, shift. I I then took Mm -hmm. it upon myself to master that market of the moment. And I worked with a lot Mm -hmm. of homeowners in getting through that uh, distressed market. So I specialized in short sales, pre-foreclosures. And my uh, passion is working with people, getting people through particular circumstances. When the market shifted and kind of recovered, uh, I I went to work with the 50-plus market, started working as a uh, senior real estate specialist. I then took it upon myself to actually start teaching that because a lot of our agents, you know, um, had aging parents and some boomers themselves. And, you know, everybody was dealing with lifestyle transitions. So I started to teach the uh, SRES course for the National Association of Realtors and have have since mastered, you know, several um, different aspects of of properties, you know, um, real estate representation in areas of where people are needing to get through particular circumstances. So that's uh, pretty much what I've been doing all my career uh, is working with with homeowners and and buyers as well and working with real estate professionals and coaching them. I'm a mindset coach as well. So I uh, really enjoy the work. It's, 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 it's not like work. It's actually a passion of mine. So I'm very, uh, very excited about it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, everyone, for their um, introduction. And so we're going to get right into the Q and A's, and we're going to start off with Jeff. And and the reason why is because uh, many times when we're in, we're looking for homes, we're looking for rental properties, we're looking for vacation homes, we're seeking for uh, the, the the homes that um, individuals can be able to uh, purchase with these uh, different packages that they have to offer. You know, you come in for four four days and three nights, and you stay for ninety nine dollars or what have you. But the the main primary thing is that we miss is the financial budget. So we want to ask Jeff and talk to him to see as to how um, an, an investor or a renter or a potential buyer needs to plan for their buying expenses. What is the first thing that they need to be doing to try to budget all of this? Well, I'll, I'll have a little bit of a, a different answer for investor and for uh, a home buyer and first time home buyer you know for for somebody buying their personal residence whether it's a a move up property or their their first property uh, for me it does start with the the financing part a lot of you know a lot of times people just start thinking about the home which is obviously the you know the the impetus for what somebody's doing and it's the emotional part of of the process uh, for me, it starts with the the financing. Uh, first of all, to make sure that somebody is capable of of getting financing, and then to to start diving in as to what kind of payment that they should be looking at. And the payment isn't only the principal and interest; that they also have to take into account the insurance for the property and the real estate taxes. Uh, those are, are going to be the four biggest parts. You know, you also have to think about uh, maintenance when you when you talk about a, a budgeting standpoint. Uh, sometimes I get people that use the online calculator uh, to figure out what kind of loan that that they should be getting, and you know that's that's a ballpark. That's like uh, a a automated valuation service online when someone's looking at you know what their home might be worth. It's a starting point. It's not the end point. 
So it's really important somebody get in touch with a, a lender that they trust. Uh, they can find that through, you know, definitely through their real estate agent if they started working with with an agent. Um, and you know that 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 person that lender should be putting somebody through a a full process, uh, starting out with a loan application and then getting the supporting uh, documents that someone's going to have to uh, supply to them anyway during the loan process or the loan approval process. And this way, somebody makes sure that they don't have any any curveballs later on that they they know what their credit is, what their credit score is. Maybe some things need to be cleaned up, maybe not. Maybe some, uh, somebody gets income other than from uh, a, a regular W-2, uh, from a regular em- employment, and there could be different rules or guidelines that lenders look at. So, you know, getting a loan could be very straightforward. There could be some curveballs, and that's, that's where everything starts. And then once somebody has that figured out, then they can start getting to the you know, the, the nuts and bolts of, of the purchase process and the kind of property that they're looking for. Um, would you like me to get into the investor part, or should we pass, pass along to a, another panelist? Okay, and we're going to go to another panelist, but thank you, you so go. much. That was very, very uh, inf- <laughs> very, very informational. I like that. I like that. So uh, we're going to go to uh, Tony. We're going to go to Tony. So um, uh, Jeff just shared a lot of information with us, uh, you know, about the credit risk, credit score, how important all of that is. And um, and a lot of times individuals, they, um, I was uh, talking to an individual um, that uh, we knew probably 20 or 30 years ago, so she, she called and asked for some expertise, and she was like, well, they, they sent me to this other lender and what have you. And like I explained to her, their lenders are not going to, are not going to loan you any money if you don't have anything that's already invested. You have to have something on your credit in order for them to trust that you will be able to pay them back. So what must a potential buyer consider first? Um, when it comes down to credit score, how can they clean some of that um, up in order for them to be able to be successful? And this also will help to, you know, pull down their um, their their, um, their interest rate as well. So um, share that a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, you know, credit uh, is everything. Uh, credit scores, the higher your credit scores, the better off you're going to be as far as getting a lower interest rate. So it is really, really important to manage your credit um, prior to even getting with a um, a real realtor. You want to really get with a mortgage professional first so that you can get an idea as to where you are uh, on the spectrum. And if if it requires that you need to do some credit repair, uh, they can give you some guidance in that direction. But ideally, you want you want to have credit. Number one, number two, uh, the credit that you do have, you really want to maintain it at, at, at a rate of 30 percent uh, or below what your what your uh, limit is. Um, that score, like I said, is going to dictate what your interest rates are. And interest is going to determine what your mortgage payment is going to be. So it's uh, really, we have some tremendous uh, programs out here today. And I'm not a loan specialist. I, I specialize on the, on the real estate broker side and primarily res- residential. But there are a lot of amazing um, programs for first-time buyers and even for um, jumbo products. There's a lot of uh, availability for um getting getting uh well with the low interest rates you're going to definitely lower that uh, monthly monthly mortgage and there's 15 year mortgages there's 30 year mortgages so there's a there's pros and cons to uh working with both both types okay okay so would anyone else would like to tackle that you're free to do so okay well we'll move on to the next question and this is in Still in regards, we're talking about um, the importance of um, down payments. Uh, so take, for example, a, um, a, a Christian church had um, 
borrowed a loan and they built a a very nice uh, sizable um, facility and they were able to pay the interest and the principal and everything was paid off and within 15 years instead of the 30 so that's still piggybacking on what tony was was referring to so that question will be for lisa if that's something that she could be, be able to answer because a lot of individuals they were surprised uh, and so actually they had a financial planner that was also a part of their organization as well and so they were paying something on it every two weeks that were able to that was able to tackle some of the interest so that would be for lisa if she could be able to answer that yeah, so I think that um, saving for a down payment, thinking about your payment plan is a really important part of the strategy of buying a home, whether it is for a primary residence or for an investment property. And there's going to be different requirements for the down payment if it's a home that you're going to be moving into. Um, five, ten percent depends on credit um, and some other factors that Jeff or Tony might be able to speak to uh, in more detail. For an investment property, uh, an investor is required to put 20% down. Um, and there's different, there's benefits to putting more down up front to maybe have a lower interest rate to be able to get the, um, perhaps have the 15 year mortgage rather than the 30. And as you were describing with the, the church and making these different payments, there's a lot of ways to be able to pay off the mortgage early, which it's interesting because in the US, it doesn't seem to be a focus because there's tax write-offs with the mortgage interest that is paid. And so there's not a lot of incentive necessarily for us to pay uh, mortgages off early in the US. Um, in other countries, I've got family in Canada, and they don't have the tax benefits there. So everybody really focuses on paying off mortgages as soon as possible. And I think some of it, I, I kind of come back to the overall financial strategy that someone has, whether it's for their finance, just personal finances and how a house factors into that and a mortgage factors into that and the value of paying extra, putting more on the down payment versus keeping that money for possibly something else. Um, and again, different strategies, if it's an investment property, uh, paying it off early so you have more cash flow coming in versus just letting it pay off slowly over time. So I think talking to somebody to help really put together a financial strategy, if it is an investment, then, it, then an investment strategy and um, so I think there's a couple different ways to go about it. And the, the one thing that I will say, one last thing I'll say about down payments, once you've saved up a significant amount of money that you're going to put into a house, you've worked really hard, you have this money in a savings account, and then you buy a house, and it, it can be kind of stressful and scary because you've worked so hard and now mm -hmm. this money has disappeared from your account, and one of the things I think is really important to keep in mind is you're not actually um, buying something in the same way that you go to the store and you buy something and that money's gone. Technically, the money is still yours. It's just not in an account. It's now invested in the house. So if you okay. look at your finances from a net worth perspective, it doesn't change. If you had $20,000 in the bank and now your $20,000 is in your home, Technically, it's still your $20,000, even though it's, it's in a different form. And I think that can be helpful for someone when they're taking a significant amount of money then and purchasing a house. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, great. So um, we're going to uh, talk about loans, FHA loans, and this question is going to be for Jeff. And so we would like for you to share with the audience 
um, uh, for first-time buyers is what type of incentives incentives that uh, first-time buyers can be able to have access to. Um, a lot of times individuals will, sometimes brokers will say, well, you know, can you apply, you can, you know, you're approved, or can you apply, or have you been approved for FHA loan? And sometimes individuals don't even know what an FHA loan is. So if you would kind of define that for us, uh, FHA loans, and also, you know, during the COVID-19, they're, they're flashing it all over the news where the market is low of interest, where people can, you know, this is kind of like the best time to buy, but people are fearful due to the COVID-19. And that's the reason why we're having this podcast today is to be able to open and loosen up individuals, the audience, where they can feel comfortable and still be able to, this is really actually one of the best times to be able to pursue that type of, uh, you know, that type of investment. So, Yeah, so thank you. Uh, uh, so a couple different questions there. As far as uh, FHA, FHA is a loan that is insured. It's not granted by the federal government. It is insured by the federal government. Uh, in case there is a, a default by the buyer. The really big benefit of an FHA loan, well, there's a couple. The really big benefit is the amount of, of down payment that is required for the loan and the purchase. FHA loans only require a 3.5% down payment. So that is one of the least expensive ways somebody could get into a home as far as the, the down payment goes. Uh, if somebody is a veteran, they can get a VA loan, and uh, they can get they can do that with no money down. So FHA requires three and a half percent money down. Now, for a first-time buyer, it is worth them asking their lender about a conventional loan because conventional loans start with five percent down payment. So there's mm-hmm. it, it does require a little bit more down though a conventional loan overall is a cheaper loan because uh, without getting too far into the weeds, FHA loans have a mortgage insurance premium that stays with the life of, of the loan. And that premium is more than what you would pay for a conventional loan. So it is worth somebody checking with their lender to have the lender calculate what the difference is in down payment between three and a half percent and five, and then also calculate what the difference in the monthly payment will be taking into account the mortgage insurance premium. And they, they also have another fee that gets added to a FHA loan and an origination fee. So it's worth exploring both. And so that way the borrower, the buyer is more educated and they can make the best decision for themselves. Okay, okay, okay. And thank you for that. So uh, we're going to go to the next segment, and the next segment is going to be in regards to um, brokers. Okay, and so um, I, sometimes when individuals are purchasing a home, um, some individuals search for brokers online. Sometimes they they are referred to um, a broker, and sometimes you can search on the Internet. And so we want to get into that just a little bit. We want to talk about uh, the pros and cons of, of the best way to be able to seek out for a, the best uh, real estate broker. We're going to talk about the frauds, and then we're going to talk about scams. So, And we know that there are a lot of that that is going on now uh, during the COVID-19 as well. So this um, uh, first question in, in this segment is going to Tony. And so uh, mm-hmm. what to consider when choosing a broker? This is you talking to the audience as far as um, – as a potential renter, if they're looking for a rental property, vacation home, commercial property, or even purchasing their first home. Thank you, Diane. Um, well, I'll tell you, it's 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 very interesting how the the uh, industry has shifted tremendously from, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, uh, when mm-hmm. we didn't have as much online activity. Today, I would highly recommend that uh, anybody who's looking to invest in real estate, whether it be for a primary residence or an investment property, that they 
they start their search online. They start their search for the, the, the real estate professional online. But there's certain things you really want to look for. Number one, ideally, they do have a website. They do have a presence online. Um, you want to know how long has this person been in the business? How uh, do they have a specialization? Uh, what You just want to look at their overall presentation. And obviously, you can reach out to most brokers via the internet you can pick up the phone you can call them but you ultimately want to um, have a list of questions a list I'd work with a checklist a list of things that you can ask questions about as far as their area of expertise their number of years in the business the type of licensing that they've got whether they are a sales sales only license or if they are a broker um, there are a lot of brokers who are not active salespersons, and they just hold the broker's license, and maybe they have other uh, sales agents that are working under their broker's license, and they may not be necessarily active as a, as a sales agent, a representative of, of a buyer or a seller. Um, there are going to be some professionals that are that specialize in listings only, meaning they represent sellers primarily. Uh, there will be other agents who are buyer specialists. So every, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we can be in real estate uh, as professionals. We can be in commercial. There's some of us who are doing commercial and residential. So I think it's just really critical to to vet them, uh, get references, and call those references. Uh, look at any kind of um, I would I would look at LinkedIn. I would look at, in as many places as you can possibly, you know. I think the first place to, to start is just by googling, googling their name and seeing what pops up. And uh, the more information they have, the better. But ultimately, you want to have some dialogue and you want to have uh, conversation with them. I think with today's technology, it's amazing to get into a Zoom room with the pers- you know, the re- respective uh, uh, broker, and have me to do a face-to-face you don't necessarily with with covid today we're not doing a lot of in-person meetings Um, maybe we're meeting the clients once we get to the properties Uh, a lot of our offices are closed it's different state by state uh, and county by county Uh, but our our offices uh, have been closed for the most part all these months but we are doing a lot of business there's a lot of business to be had but it's all happening online and uh, through through the Zoom rooms. So again, doing all your due diligence with the individual is critical. And um, yeah, that's 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 what I would say. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, and so this is for Lisa. Diane, can I? We're gonna go ahead. Yes, of course, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna add something about the the broker or the agent. When I'm a buyer. I really mm-hmm. want to make sure that the real estate agent is going to represent me and understand me and my needs. I've had a few mm-hmm. cases where the real estate agent is trying to talk me into making a higher offer and, mm-hmm. you know, saying, well, I don't know. And, and I, I kind of feel like, wait a minute, are you representing the seller or the buyer? And if, mm-hmm. if as the buyer, I want to put in a low offer I want the agent to respect that and support me knowing that maybe, okay, maybe it means I don't get the house, but that's, that's important. Um, so that, that's something that really stands out to me that as the buyer, I really want the agent to understand um, my needs, my desires, and then um, follow, follow my lead essentially as the buyer rather than try and talk me into something that I don't want or need. Okay. I completely okay. agree. Cool. I, I completely agree. That's super, super important that the uh, real estate professional is very clear about the buyers, uh, this, what their needs are, what their expectations are, um, and their objectives. So I, I agree with you. If, if I could chime in for a couple of seconds, uh, agreeing yeah. with, with, with everybody as well. And one of the one of the prevailing thoughts that some buyers have is, I'll, I don't care about the agent. So it's, it's the exact opposite of, of what we're talking about. And they say, I want to go to the listing agent. And then right. the problem you have is 
is what uh, Lisa just mentioned in that the, the listing agent has a, a duty, a fiduciary duty, the highest duty possible to the seller in that case mm-hmm. to do the best job for the seller until a certain point. But uh, so buyers think that they're, you know, that they can, they can be better off by going to the listing agent. And as, as Lisa mentioned, the listing agent doesn't know anything about them. They don't know if it's a suitable property, if it checks all the boxes, if there's another property that, that, that could be better. So uh, just uh, another reason why uh, somebody's probably going to be better served by, by working with, with one agent who really understands them and their goals and their mo- motivations, their qualifications, and then focusing on finding them that right property. Okay, okay. That's, that's fair enough. Okay. Go ahead. You have to. You, you wanted to add something, Tony? You know, I, it's just this is such a, a critical uh, topic because there are so many different mm-hmm. dynamics to um, the, for the consumer as well as the broker. And and, and like uh, Jeff was mentioning, we have a fiduciary obligation to protect our seller and or if we're representing the buyer our fiduciary obligation is to protect them and you know we see this a lot today especially with the multiple offers that are happening and um, I just I I highly discourage being represented by um, having a buyer who's seeking to be represented by the listing broker because you really can't represent both people fairly um, and it's, you know, they do they do have a tendency to think they're going to get a better deal financially, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we see a lot of litigation. I was a broker of record uh, with Keller Williams in Santa Monica, and I I, I saw on a regular basis, uh, you know, disputes because of this dual what we call dual representation, which is a very dangerous space to be in, um, both on the broker side as well as as the buyer and seller side. So this is very, very important. Get your own representative. Make sure you've vetted them out. Make sure they understand what your needs are. And uh, and, and just, you know, do all the due diligence you can. Mm-hmm. I think uh, research is very, very important when it comes to uh, real estate. I think that sometimes the, the buyer uh, perhaps may be uh, on an, uh, on an entry, entry level, of of understanding mm-hmm. what they are looking for or what they're trying to buy, and sometimes, which is going to bring me to the next question, it's really like a two-part question, and anyone or each one of you can be able to answer this, and it's more like a challenge, so don't um, – don't dry up, but it's a challenge question. So this is in regards to, to, to scams. They'll dry up like vinegar. Please don't. But I try to bring all of the corners around to the audience. So this 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 two-part question, the first one is going to be for scams. This is for the potential buyer, for the potential renter. And the second part of the question is in regards to how can real estate brokers uh, 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 evict. Okay, so here's the scenario because you see a lot of court cases, live court cases that are going on where it's hard to get the broker, it's hard for the broker to make squatters leave. So that's mm-hmm. the challenge right there. Because we're going to the meat and potatoes, so it's, it can be difficult. So that question is going to be to our audience that is listening that are real estate brokers and real estate agents, and the other part of it is helping the the audience to be able to know how to avoid scams. Sometimes individuals do not know, and and, and they're dressed, they're nice, they got – they got everything, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, suitable. That their their attire is professional, but it's actually a scam, and that's what's running a lot of individuals into court that we see today. But then you see on the other part for the real estate broker, they're having uh, struggles as well as trying to if, if if they're trying to show a home and all of a sudden okay now a squatter has broken in what do the mm-hmm. what can what steps can the real estate agent be able to take to get that squatter removed um and so i'm going to share another um, scenario with you um here in uh, tennessee in memphis this it was this mansion and they they went like seven years in a court case 
trying to identify, and she ended up doing some jail time, I think like 25 years, because she, she took the judicial system on a very, very, very unnecessary um, um, a roller coaster. This is my house. It was not her house. I think it was Isaac Hayes's uh, uh, old mansion when he was living and what have you. And she went in there and took full possession, and she didn't have no right to do it. And it took the courts almost seven years to get this woman out of this house. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's for the real estate yeah. side right there for the real estate mm-hmm. broker and the real estate agent. The other part of the question, how can the potential buyer and I know it's this a lot, but if you can tackle it, you can. How can they avoid the scam artist? So that we're gonna start with we're gonna start with Jeff on that one. <laughs> All right, so we have a a three a three parter. Um, as far as as far as scams, the biggest scam that I see out there, and you know, it's especially in in our area, is with regards to renters. And the scam is uh, especially when a scam artist knows that the property is vacant, and if there's if there is a, a landlord advertising a property, it's going to be either you know the tenant gave notice and they're still there, or the tenant left and it's a vacant property. The biggest scam is uh, the, the the artist finds the vacant property that's being advertised and they do their own advertisement. They take the pictures and they make up some story. You know, I I live out of the area. Uh, I I just really want somebody good who's going to take care of my home, and I know that I'm asking, you know, if the market rents 2,500, I know I'm only asking 1,500 a month, but I'm doing that just because I want somebody good in my house, and all you have to do is send me your your move-in fees and your deposit, and I'll send you the keys, and this will be great. Uh, I, I have a couple of rental properties, and it seems like every time that I'm renting one of those out, I get I get people call and they say, I see one ad for you know for 2,700 and one ad for 1,700. Which one's right? And I say, Yep, the, the 1,700s a scam. So that is the most prevalent one that I see in our area. And there's the trite phrase: If something seems too good to be true, it likely is. And a hundred percent of the time. When it comes to yeah. uh, somebody looking to rent a home, and it's just so far under market that the natural instinct is awesome. I would love to save money on rent. You just have to watch your checkbook because that, that's that's going to be a scam. Uh, so that's that's the biggest one that I see with rental properties. With with purchasing, the biggest thing somebody has to keep in mind is when they're wiring money to the escrow company. Uh, in in California, we have a wire fraud advisory form. Uh, unfortunately, people probably sign it without reading it, just because we only have another 30 pages that somebody has to sign. And you know, at some point, it's just where do I sign? Let me just move forward on it. And the reason why we have this disclosure form or advisory form is because wire fraud is real. There, there, are, there are bad people, bad actors out there that are monitoring people's emails. And when they see that you know, the, the final funds need to get wired to escrow, fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 getting wired from one account to the other, and they, they intercept that, they make their email look just like the escrow company's email, and they just stick in their wire account instead, and the money goes to the wrong place, and it causes a lot of problems. So the, the best advice for anybody buying, I tell all of my buyers that. I say when, whenever the escrow company is asking you to, to wire something, is to always call them to verify the account number in the email and always verify the amount. And uh, that that is uh, a a way to be uh, to avoid being duped as far as that that kind of a scam goes. Uh, quickly on on squatters, uh, California's moratorium on evictions just got extended to June 30th. It is extremely difficult to get wow. a squatter out or somebody that just isn't paying rent. You can't evict somebody for not paying their 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 rent so uh, i've had a couple of investors 
that were looking to purchase a property, and when it's it's tenant occupied, that brings a higher level of risk. The nice thing is that they have a tenant there. The the uncertainty is is that tenant going to continue paying rent? Now, at the beginning of COVID in March and April of 2020, it was a lot riskier than it is now because then we didn't have any track record. Is that person going to lose their job? Are they just going to take advantage uh, of of laws and not pay just because they don't have to? Uh, at least now we're almost a year later, and we have a track record. And the the tenant has a track record. You know, what did they do last March, April, May? Have they paid the last nine months, ten months? Mm-hmm. So that risk, while it's still there, has has greatly gone down. Okay. Okay. I, so with that, any go ahead. No, I I just wanted to piggyback off of Jeff with regard to. The uh, a lot of scams that that I'm seeing uh, is in the older adult senior uh, category. We mm-hmm. I see a lot of deed fraud with mm-hmm. the uh, with the seniors, and what happens is if they are no longer residing at their property, let's say they move in with a with a um, a daughter or a son, or they move in with one of their kids. And, you know, they're aging gracefully, but uh, they've got a property that's sort of sitting there vacant. Uh, that's a prime target for a uh, for deed fraud, somebody to come in and actually scramble up the deed and try to take ownership of the property. We see that a lot. Um, it's really, really unfortunate. Uh, we also see, um, uh, with, with with regard to these rentals, and I happen to have a building myself, you know, when these tenants are protected from having to pay rent, they are also there's there's not the same level of protection for the landlord. So the moratorium is applicable for the renter, and they don't they can't be evicted. But at the same time, the lender that's that's financing the mortgage on the property, if they're not federally backed. They do not have to participate in any kind of uh, foreclosure protection. So that becomes really challenging when the landlords are are not having the same level of of grace and protection as the tenant. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're starting to see landlords who are going into foreclosure because they're not getting the rent, and therefore they can't pay the mortgage, and the banks Mm -hmm. are not working with them. If it's not federally backed, um, I don't know, Jeff, if you've, you've uh, heard about this, but this is becoming a more and more of a problem that we're seeing. Um, and then there's a lot of tenants who are just taking advantage of the system that really are just not paying rent because they feel like because of these these uh, these guidelines, uh, they're just taking advantage of it. So it's it's a it's really a, a, a scrambled and a very unfortunate scenario that we're dealing with. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot of pre-foreclosures, both in residential and uh, with with investment properties. That's a great point, Tony. And uh, that's always been, uh, you know, puzzling to me, even, you know, maybe not in March of April of last year, but as we've had either extended guidelines or or new guidelines that, you know, the uh, tenants are being protected in case they've had any you know income issues with regards to covid though mm-hmm. for some reason as you just mentioned the landlords get kind of left out like it's it's the landlord's job to pay the mortgage but it's not the tenant's job to pay rent and there's definitely a disconnect there from from the government level you know the mm-hmm. government yes. is taking care of tenants which is great but what about extending that to the landlords and trying to figure out, you know, why, why does the landlord have to foot that, that, that burden? They have families, they have businesses, they may only have one rental property, which is, you know, was going to be going towards their re- retirement. And because of mm-hmm. this rule, they could lose their, their property over it. And it seems like that's getting overlooked. So thank right. you for bringing that up. Sure. Okay. Okay. So, Lisa, did you want to expound on that since your state is different from Tony and Jeff's? Would you like to share? 
It certainly is different state to state and even within some states, landlord and tenant laws are different. From an investor perspective, it's part of analyzing markets and deciding whether it is um, a you know, good market or, or the level of risk involved, right? Because if the laws are more friendly to tenants, then as a landlord, I have a greater amount of risk. So I tend to look for markets where the land the laws are more landlord friendly and that's not because I want to take advantage of my tenants. I want my tenants to be in wonderful homes. I want them to be happy. I want my properties to be in really good shape. I just want less risk as a landlord. So I do tend to look and choose markets that are friendlier for landlords for that reason. Okay. Okay, great. So the last segment we're going to get into is going to be the checklist. And so this is something that uh, it's it needs to be uh, shared. It needs to be, uh, you know, uh, expound on because a lot of times when individuals um, go to purchase a home, they, 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 they oh, I like it. And, you know, they see the outside of it. And then, uh, you know, it has nice windows. It has nice tall ceiling fans. And after they have purchased it and then something goes wrong, five or six days later, then they call the real estate broker back and, you know, want to bang on him or her and they, oh, you left this out, you know. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so this uh, first question is going to be for Tony. And so it's going to be um, the importance, uh, how important it is for a, a, a renter or a uh, potential buyer to be able to carry a checklist with them and where they can be able to retrieve a checklist from so they can be able to cover all of the areas before they buy or rent. Well, you know, the checklist is important. Now, every brokerage, every sales agent, uh, they all we, we all have various types of tools and and resources for our mm-hmm. for our our client. Um, I think that it's critical for the agent to be very clear with the buyers that they need to, um, and and we have various disclosures and advisories, if you would. That actually um, are 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 created by the state, um, the state the state association of real realtors, depending on what state you're in. But we advise the buyers to do their own due diligence. Now the brokers can't be completely responsible, but we are responsible for letting them know that they are responsible for doing their own due diligence. Mm-hmm. So they should have a home inspe- inspection. In some cases, they may need to have more than one inspection. Um, if you get a general inspection, that general may call out uh, further inspection on something that looks like it needs a, a, a specialist to take a, a deeper look at it. Uh, the importance of um, making sure that they uh, their contingencies in the transaction are critical. So a contingency is is a protective factor that says this purchase is contingent upon an appraisal, it's contingent upon a loan approval, it's contingent upon a uh, an inspection and, and all the due diligence of the property and all the, in other words, all the investigation on the property. So there are timelines that are attached to those contingencies. It's very important that the, the, the agent, broker, keep the buyer on in tune with those timelines because not being protected with your contingencies could be a huge problem uh, for the for the buyers. So it's important that they understand that there's a period of time that they have to do their due diligence and make sure everything is in order before they are required to remove those contingencies. So uh, there's that, and there's also things like home warranty. Um, some people... Uh, I always buy the home warranty for my client if I'm representing the buyer. I I, I buy it as a as a as a, like a a closing gift. I pick up the home warranty mm-hmm. because uh, you know the home warranty, especially in that first year, there's all kinds of things that can present itself even after you've done your inspections, even after you've closed that will come up and you want to make sure that you have some sort of policy in place that will cover you uh, for appliances or electrical or plumbing 
uh, even roof and pool, etc. But these are things that you want to make sure that uh, they're just additional protection factors. Now, when it comes to a, 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 an as-is sale, you see that a lot. You see property sold as is. And, and a lot of times uh, sellers, <laughs> in their mind, they're saying, we're not doing anything. We want you to know up front. We're not giving you any credits. We're not we're, we're not repairing anything. So you're, you're buying this as is. However, mm-hmm. the buyer has every right to do their own due diligence. Now, if something comes up in that process, and they and it's a it's a major item, they still have the right to ask for a credit and or repairs. It doesn't mean the seller has to do it or will do it, but they still have the right to ask for it. So those are the kinds of mm-hmm. things that I would say um, are really important to stay tuned into when you're in the process of a, of, of acquiring a property. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Jeff, would you like to uh, make a statement on that? And um, because of, in regards to the as-is, sometimes individuals, they will polish up some things. Um, when we purchased our first home, personally, myself, uh, we didn't check the, the HVAC. We didn't check any of those things. We didn't. There were some checklist options that we had, but we did not. We forgot to check that. And then, of course, about a couple of years down the road, it went out, and so the, the full expense was, you know, um, on us. So, would you like to expound uh, off of what Tony um, had just stated? Uh, that was. Uh, thank you, uh, Tony. Had a very uh, comprehensive answer. There's not. There's not a lot to add to it. Uh, the, the the as is part is a a very very common question, and both from a buyer and and a seller standpoint, uh, you know again you know just the the fact that you know a seller wants to sell as is, and in fact the uh, the California purchase agreement uh, there's a paragraph that says that this home is being sold as is. Um, it, it, as Tony mentioned, it doesn't mean that the buyer can't ask, and it doesn't mean that the seller has, has to do. Uh, typically, that when when a buyer does their inspection of the property, when the inspection comes back, and that's when the buyer can ask for either credits for some problems with the house that weren't disclosed, or they could ask the seller to fix them. That is a point in the transaction where the, 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 the whole purchase transaction really comes to a halt at that point, and you enter into a new negotiation between both parties, and that's a point where if the seller doesn't want to fix or, or credit, then the buyer has to decide, do they want to take that on and move forward with the purchase, or, or do they want to cancel? Uh, so you know, that's that that's a, a very uh, important part of the contract and a very Im- important part of of the uh, purchase process. Um, and you know, as far as a checklist goes, a lot of the things for the the inspection of the house you know there's there's a checklist for what you know a buyer should be looking for and you know they don't get caught up in after they park their car there was a white picket fence and that was a vision that they had as a kid of the house that they wanted to buy you know the buyer does have to have a checklist of you know what are the musts that the house Mm -hmm. has to have and then what are what are preferences as far as the inspection goes, that you know, that should be covered by the inspector that is hired. Uh, so a, a buyer should never bypass getting a property inspected, and they should always go with a a vetted inspector. Uh, hopefully, it's somebody that you, you know the buyer's agent has done business with and and knows that that in, inspector is good and they're going to cover the major systems so it's not that there's a cracked floor tile unless that requires further investigation because there could be a slab issue but sometimes it just wasn't laid properly or somebody you know dropped something on it and and it broke the inspection is for you know the big reason is for those major systems that could really cause somebody to come out of pocket a lot you know, if there's if somebody needs a new roof, that could be you know as cheap as seven or eight thousand. It could be a twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar job. Uh, sewer line system, electrical and plumbing. Uh, you know, these are things that you know buyers definitely want to make sure 
is at a minimum vetted by their in, inspectors so they they know what they're getting into. Okay, okay, great. Okay, thank you. So this last question this is going to be the last question of this um, collaboration for today, and this is going to go to Lisa. And so take uh, take um, into uh, fact as to what Tony had shared, also as to what Jeff had shared. So take, for instance, if, if, if something does go wrong and, and, and the individual says, well, you know, I think I've, I've, I've been uh, had or what have you, are there any resources that a uh, potential buyer can be able to access, maybe like the um, Housing Fair Act? Is there any other uh, 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 retributes that they could be able to access in order to file a complaint or something if they feel that they have been under fraud or they feel that they did not get the fair uh, uh, share as to buying a um, or purchasing a home? So great question, and um, there are protections out there, there are resources. The first thing that comes to my mind is work hard to prevent the, those unexpected, like do the due diligence before purchasing a house, have the inspections. A lot of people kind of feel, again, overwhelmed by such a large purchase, so if they can save mm -hmm five or eight hundred dollars here and there in the purchase process so like maybe we don't need that inspector or this inspection then then they tend to do that and and that's where you run into trouble it'll cost you later it is worth investing in those inspections and making sure things are really taken care of in the on the front end and I would also say especially for people who are first-time home buyers it can be a really overwhelming process um encourage people to educate themselves talk to other people talk to multiple lenders talk to multiple agents and just all of those conversations can be a learning process um advocate for yourself throughout that process uh hopefully your agent uh, is also advocating for you but ultimately you are the best person to advocate for yourself and it's much better to avoid having to file those complaints. I think there's a lot that can be done ahead of time. Um, so if we can avoid that, then that is clearly going to be the the preference and, and much less headache. Um, that being said, things can happen. Uh, the unexpected can happen. Um, but if you know that you've done everything and, 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 and so when something unexpected happens, it really is just something unexpected and it's not um, foul play or, you know, the seller was trying to hide this or that um, to feel good about that. And, and I also think financially planning ahead for unexpected expenses is also a really important part of um, planning and, and purchasing a home as well. So, I I, um, I know I didn't answer the question about the specifics, and maybe Tony or Jeff want to jump in about specific agencies and um, policies and things that can protect people if something does go wrong. But I really do feel like there's so much that can be done ahead of time that's worth investing in, worth spending a little bit more time and money on up front to try and prevent those situations. Um, yeah, I can jump in just quickly and give uh, an idea of where one would go. I mean, it really depends on the type of uh, complaint and whether it's against the agent or if it's against the seller or the principal or, or if it's the buyer complaint. Um, there's always the broker, the broker of record for the agencies that's representing the, the principals. I, I get, as the broker of record, I would get a lot of calls um, and that's typically where they start is by calling the broker with the complaint. And then from there, if they need to get deeper, if it can't get resolved at that point, then they start contacting the uh, Department of Real Estate or they contact the California Association of Realtors or whatever state you're in, the association that, repre that, that rep you know, represents the uh, real estate professionals from there. There's, uh, like I said, it depends on if it's a complaint towards the agent or towards the um, one of the principals. So, um, yeah, they, they typically start by contacting the broker. Okay, 
Okay, okay, go right. So um, that's all for today. Uh, does anyone else have any last minute tips and resources? I'll okay. just, uh, if I could just add uh, or supplement part of Lisa's answer previously is for a buyer, it, it could be common to keep on asking your agent, what do you think, what would you do, what would you do? And as, as Lisa was mentioning, buyers really need to go in as their best advocate. And the reason is, you know, when Tony and I get asked these questions, what would you do? And, you know, I, I have rental properties. I, I've, I've been an agent for almost 20 years. I'm, I'm going to look at things differently. I'm going to have a different risk profile for myself and for my family and for my purchases and my investments. So, you know, some, it, sometimes the agent has to be careful. And it's not from a fraud. It's not from a wanting to do the right thing. It's, it's you know, I could say, well, you know, I'd be comfortable with that, but so what? It doesn't ma make a difference that mm -hmm. I would be comfortable with it. It doesn't mean somebody else has to be. So, you know, it's it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, ask ask your agent's opinion. Though ultimately, don't lean on it. You have to, you know, do whatever information you need to gather, and your agent should be part of that process. Don't make that the last part of it. You have to take everything in as as a buyer. Be your best advocate. Know what you can and can't live with what risks you can live with and what risks you, you can't. And ultimately, it does land on the, the, per, the person that is either buying or selling or investing. Yeah. Okay, great. Agreed. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to let each guest um, go around the table, and they're going to be able to share any uh, information that they would like to share with the audience, uh, any books that they have published, any social media platforms that they would like the audience to follow them with, or mm -hmm. any website links, they can be able to do that at this time. And we're going to start with Lisa. Thank you so much, Diane. It's been a pleasure to be on the show and be part of the conversation. My website is the REI Concierge, so T-H-E-R-E-I C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E.com. And we have an online course that is about investing specifically from abroad. But if you're investing just from out of state or out of town, it also, the principles apply as well. And would love to hear from any of the guests who have questions or, or comments. Okay, perfect. Tony? Yes, uh, I can be reached. Uh, my website is TonyPatillo.com. That's T-O-N as in Nancy, I, P as in Peter, A, T as in Tom, I-L-L-O, dot com. So it's my first and last name, dot com. Um, and, you know, you can email me. My uh, social media handles are also Tony Patillo, at Tony Patillo for Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So uh, you just put in at, uh, the symbol at, and then it's Tony Patillo. And you'll find me on okay. social media. Okay, thank you. Jeff? Well, thank you, and a pleasure being being part of the, the show, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, the uh, website that I have is team, T-E-A-M, team805, or team805realestate.com. And uh, those are the same handles for Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram is team805realestate. Uh, I, I do have a, a podcast as well, and it's, uh, it can be found on all the listening platforms under 805talk. Okay, okay, great. So just to recap... We have talked about buying a buying plan, budgeting. Uh, we have also talked about a checklist. We've talked about scams and frauds, who you can be able to contact just in case. Do your due diligence. Um, the All of the effects basically is on the buyer mostly. And then you can also be able to talk to your broker. And we also have talked about how to find the best broker uh, so you won't run into frauds and scams. Again, this is Diane Winbush. For all of, of our upcoming shows, you can go to our website, of course, at www.womenwhorockwithsuccess.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram under Women Who Rock With Success. 
and Women Who Rock Investigate. So thank everyone for being a part of the panel on today. Thank, thank you, Diane. Diane, we appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. All right. Thank you.